turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. August the 6th, it's a Thursday, and at 5.05, time for our uh, daily appointment here. We gather at this uh, location every day, Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m., to address issues that impact your life and your world, and we've got more of that in our uh, our agenda for today. Coming up a little bit later on in today's program, uh, you're going to meet a real special guy, Adam Davis, a name that will mean nothing to you until you've heard our conversation Adam is a retired peace officer, and he's written a new book called Behind the Badge, 365 Daily Devotions for Law Enforcement, and really gets into some critical issues that kind of help move this dialogue forward in relationship to the tragedy of the killing of George Floyd and what we need to do to fix this. And there is a lot to be fixed. And so we're going to talk about some of that coming up later on tonight when Adam Davis joins us on the program. Also want to remind you, if you've not yet gone to KFAX.com and uh, registered to enjoy, when COVID is behind us, a nice dinner with Family Life Today's Dave and Ann Wilson, we encourage you, I encourage you, (laughs) to do that right now. Log on to KFAX.com, use the keyword marriage. While you're there, Family Life Today has a free gift for you. Their Take Your Marriage from Good to Great bundle, That includes videos, audio sessions, and other downloads, all absolutely free. Great resources, good way to invest some time in your marriage during these challenging times. Again, go to kfax.com and use the keyword marriage to um, receive those free gifts and to sign up to potentially win dinner for two, round-trip air transportation, hotel accommodations, and a chance to attend a live taping of Family Life Today with Dave and Ann Wilson. And again... You can sign up for that. No cost or obligation at all. Just go to kfax.com and use the keyword marriage. I think, by the way, that Dave and Ann are going to be on the program with us next week, Tuesday or Wednesday, I think, of next week, so something that we can be looking forward to. It's often said that the best ideas come out of our own personal tragedy, pain, sometimes loss, and that certainly is true for my first guest tonight. This is a subject that is of particular interest to me, um, having been a cancer um, victim initially and now a cancer survivor, gratefully, um, dealing with colon cancer in 2015. That was my banner year. Lost both my parents that year, one of them to ovarian cancer after my mother had had a 13-and-a-half-year-long battle fighting it. And I know from not only being involved in her journey, but my own journey, that um, cancer is more than just a diagnosis. 
when it gets into things like doctor's appointments and chemotherapy treatment and radiation and surgery recovery and then you're dealing with insurance companies and medical bills and all of it it can absolutely be overwhelming both physically and emotionally and the last thing you have in mind is the ability to negotiate when you'd like to go see the doctor you go when they're available basically and so the area of adding one more level of responsibility to friends and family that they themselves may be taxed with you know responsibilities work and things of that sort often becomes a field too far and many cancer patients that are in need of transportation to and from the myriad of appointments and I gotta tell you in in the year and a half that I dealt with my cancer I had more doctor's appointments than Carter had little pill doctor's office and they diagnosed me pretty immediately with inflammatory breast cancer which is not good statistically uh, so uh, I too uh, practically lived at the uh, doctor's office for about a year and a half um, and it was pretty grueling it became just a part of my everyday life and something that uh, you know just took over you can't miss appointments they're vital and I saw a lot, uh, I went through a lot, but I also saw other folks going through so much. And, um, you know, it, it was pretty much the full gamut through uh, the chemo, the radiation, um, multiple surgeries. I actually just had a surgery because the implants that I had from the double mastectomy I did back then um, actually went on recall and they could cause a secondary cancer. So I had to go in and get those removed in February. So it's, it's kind of a process that one doesn't just escape. It's something that you have to live with, and, and hopefully you don't have a reoccurrence. You know, you, it, it, so it's been, it's been quite a bit lately, I will, I will share. It's a, it's a journey, and, and uh, you know, people that have never been through it perhaps don't fully understand that unlike other things, you know, if you break a leg, they, they, they set it for you, you wear a cast for a number of months, it heals, life goes on. Uh, yeah, maybe now you can predict the rain and <laughs> changes in the weather uh, with a trick knee as a result of that, but for the most part, life goes on. Cancer is something right. where if it, even once the doctors and rare occasions will reach the point and say you're completely cancer-free congratulations there's always that little thing in the back of your mind yes but will it ever return and then for others that uh, the deal with kind of the cycles of cancer uh, where you're in and then you're in uh, in uh, um, uh, remission and then you're feeling great and then it returns again which was certainly the experience that my mother went through over 13 and a half year long battle with ovarian cancer um, it, it becomes all-encompassing. And boy, Sherry, the big thing is during that period of time, from, from the moment of the shock of the diagnosis to the beginning of this very, at times, frightening journey, as I suggested, there's so much that you have to suddenly shift your focus to doctors and appointments and chemo and radiation and, and insurance and medical bills and, and trying to take better care of yourself and all of this. And then to, on top of that, have to deal with, well, I'd love to drive myself, but I can't. And suddenly oh. now you're having to deal with the transportation side of this. It just adds another layer of complexity. That's true. And actually... You know, the thing about uh, the organization is, and one thing that's become more and more evident with each day is it's about the companionship and the friendship that's developed through the program we're about to talk about that really has 
taken center stage um, when the when the program began. I would talk a lot about the transportation, and it became clear immediately that the companionship part and having this unique therapeutic presence and the forming of friendships and strong bonds for those who needed support that that the, the program actually led with the companionship element. So that was mm. something that uh, so it's was it's a om- very almost realization. Oh. Almost as if to say, uh, pun intended, that the transportation part has almost taken kind of a back seat to this in terms of the real service that's provided here. And, you know, we're going to get into details in a moment, but, you know, for the benefit of listeners, uh, it, it is a frightening experience and very disquieting. And even for people of faith that we have someone in whom we lean on and trust there's still that sense of going in, and, and particularly if you're dealing with the, the chemotherapy or radiation end of this, um, you know, you don't go in, feel real good, and when you come out, you feel even worse. And right. in, in those moments, to have some kind of companionship that can be there, that can be comforting, and and just be there in that moment, sometimes a huge difference. And that's a big part, as Sherry Higgs suggests, of what Drivers for Survivors is doing today and of course has been working here in the uh, the tri-city area of fremont union city newark and and expanding and uh, capturing the attention of folks all over the bay area there also i'll mention is going to be a a special black and white ball a virtual ball as we're now becoming used to doing things remotely and virtually that'll be coming up on uh, friday the 14th we'll tell you more about that in just a moment let's take a quick time out we'll come back to more of our conversation sherry higgs is with us today founder and executive director of drivers for survivors information available on the web at driversforsurvivors.org that's driversforsurvivors.org 516 let's get a time out and get you updated on traffic we'll head over to the kfax traffic center for the latest And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Out of our own life experience in 2010, my guest today, Sherry Higgs, actually left her role as a successful account executive with a Fortune 500 company to um, to focus on drivers for survivors, recognizing that there was not only a tremendous need in terms of providing transportation to cancer patients who needed to get to and from various appointments and so forth, but also, as she mentioned just before the break, recognizing, too, the tremendous emotional support need as well. And Sherry, let's kind of pick things up from there. I'm I'm fascinated by that because, as I suggested before the break, this, um, this is a very tumultuous, oftentimes terrifying period of time in a person's life. And sometimes, yeah, when you come out of those appointments, you, you need a little shoulder to cry on or just know that there's somebody there that understands. Yeah, and the um, the service, it, it was already valuable, and the value is even increasing with the, the given current climate because, you know, based off of our personal model, it's frequently survivors helping survivors. So the one-to-one support is, at this point, you know, we've really – cautionly kind of, I guess, cocooned it in, in this nest of care and compassion, companionship so that way people are really getting that one-on-one support that they need and they're not needing to deal with any other elements, you know. And, and then in addition, the cancer affects each member of the family, you know, especially families with children who are uncertain about their future, you know, their loved ones, 
And um, so the value of needing something like this has grown with the pandemic. There's a lot of people who are struggling and uh, being concerned about going out and taking transportation publicly, and they, they need to be able to be reassured that they're going to be in a, um, a safe a position as possible. And having other survivors giving them rights, also taking as many precautions as they can, um, definitely eases some of that uh, concern. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, you know, calling a, an Uber or Lyft or a taxi cab to get home after a um, multiple hour long chemotherapy appointment is probably not something that most people really look forward to. Tell us a bit about how the program works. First off, from the volunteer standpoint, how do people get involved? What kinds of people? You mentioned obviously about cancer survivors themselves, but what kinds of people like to get involved from a volunteer basis? So um, all types of people, actually, uh, but mainly it's survivors that want to help other survivors. People have a tendency to be drawn towards their own experiences because they have that appreciation for what uh, people are going through. Um, we have a website, thedriversforsurvivors.org, and there's an area there that a uh, person can um, register. It's just a brief registration process, and then they link up with our outreach coordinator, and then they'll go through kind of a deeper dive where we'll do a background check and go through an orientation and get people acquainted with how the program works. Um, basically what happens is a driver will uh, self-assign a, a client that they are able to help. They're available during that time, and they will, they will give an introductory call, basically saying who they are and just finding out if there's anything that they need to know in order to make the client comfortable and they'll bring them to the appointment. Nowadays, what they'll do is they'll actually drop them off at the door because a lot of the medical providers aren't having us come into the waiting room like we would usually do. And we, we handhold all the way through the process until they get home. But some of that had to change just based off of what's going on with COVID. Um, if they, after their appointment, need any medicine, we'll stop and we'll, we'll take care of that. Or if they have something that's critical in order for them to be comfortable when they get home, and then once that ride is over, uh, they're done, you know, and they can continue on with that same client if they choose. Because, again, a lot of times these bonds are formed and they want to spend time with one another. You know, they want to be able to, the client will say, oh, I really loved, you know, working with this gal or gentleman. And I really, I would like to continue that um, that is my driver, and, and it can work both ways, for a matter of fact. You, you might have a very busy person who says, you know, I'm, I'm this very busy person, and then they meet the, the client, and they'll call us and say, you know, I'm going to clear my schedule for this person and their rides because this really touched my heart. And that's a, that's a very common experience for a volunteer. Once they've given one ride, they get kind of hooked because they're really realizing the depth of the gift that they're giving. They're, they're essentially helping saving they're helping save someone's life they're they're um a, a a very important part of the of the success of the person going through treatment and of course what's amazing about that is you know you go into something like this with the initial idea i'm giving back and you you expect to the, that it's all going to be kind of in one direction and then suddenly you discover in the process of it's going hard. and wanting to be <laughs> helpful and and uh, you know giving to the individual who's uh, going back and forth to chemo th treatments and so forth that all of a sudden there's there's benefit and good feelings in both directions and that's kind of the, right. the serendipitous part of all of this isn't it 
that is absolutely, you couldn't have said it any better. It's so true. Uh, there's a gift in, in giving, and uh, a lot of these folks enjoy the process so much. We keep our volunteers uh, for very long periods of time. Um, we haven't had an incredible amount of, of turnover, but I will say this, that, you know, sometimes when you're getting those who have had, you know, a cancer diagnosis, they might have an underlying condition or their immunity system might be lowered. And so we have had some drivers take a temporary break from from driving for right now. And then we have others that we call them road warriors that uh, continue on. They're they're just amazing people. Um, And then we have had some people, um, even some medical providers who have called us, they have like volunteer programs and say, you know, we really value your program and we realize that you might be running into some um, challenges with getting additional drivers during a time like this. We'd like to help. So it's, it's, it's fascinating watching uh, all of these different hearts come together and have the insight that they do and be um, heart-driven enough to, to make those strides to come in and, and offer to, to help people who really, really need it right now. So, yeah, our program... Our program is definitely um, picking up again. We went through a, a little bit of a lull, if, if you could call it that, during the just the heat of all this. And the medical providers were trying to temper the ones that they went ahead and went forward with, but that can't be indefinite because you just can't put these, these types of appointments on hold. They're life-saving. So it's starting now to pick up again, um, and uh, we're always – we're always wanting to see more people come and get involved and help out. And so uh, your chance to to either call because you are a cancer patient and you are in need of transportation or you've got some time on your hands, uh, maybe as a recent retiree or somebody who uh, just says, you know, I've been there, got the T-shirt, and I want to give back. What a wonderful yeah, a opportunity of, to do so. I bet. Sorry I bet, that. and you know, and, and what, what, and what a, what a great way to have a tremendous sense of satisfaction. You know, I always say, you, when you retire, you don't retire from work. You need to retire to something. And what a wonderful mission that this can be to retire to. Um, drivers for survivors. Again, information available on the web. Drivers for F O R. Drivers for survivors. Dot o r g. I mentioned Sherry coming up a week from tomorrow. That's Friday, the fourteenth, from six until seven thirty p.m. You're going to have your sixth annual event, but the, the, the first ever virtual black and white ball. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, we're uh, kind of pioneering this for the first time in our area. A collective group of people are, are being brave and moving forward with this, so it's our first time doing it. But I have to tell you, it's coming along swimmingly. We have a great team. Um, the key folks that are involved are um are proficient at, at doing virtual um, events, so we we got the help of some really incredible uh, supporters. And right now, the way that it's working is it's on Friday, August 14th, and it is from 6 to 7.30 p.m. It's on a virtual stage, so it's basically a one-way production. And we have entertainment that will be performing. We have a keynote speaker that has this is the, the second time we brought this person in because we were so um, impressed with her. Um, it's Dr. Laura Esserman, and she's the director of um, the Carol Frank Buck Breast Center, UCSS, um, and she was Time Magazine's 2016 100 Most Influential People in the World. So her 
a keynote just was the medical providers and general public came just to see that alone. Um, and we're also honoring uh, some folks. We're honoring Dr. Richard Godfrey, uh, and he is a, a, a doctor who does amazing things. And um, Supervisor Scott Haggerty, he's retiring this year, and he's with the Alameda County Board of Supervisors in District 1, and he was uh, one of the original seed money providers for the organization. And then in terms of the sponsors, you know, we've really had uh, uh, folks who have stepped in and helped out and maintained their role as a sponsor for this virtual event, which was critical. So our gold sponsor, our main sponsor is Washington Hospital Healthcare System. And then we also have involved FH Daily, Fremont Bank, Kaiser Permanente, Fidelity Insurance Service, Stanford Healthcare, Republic Services, Horizon Financial, Morgan Stanley, Autotopia, Safeway, Richard Valle, uh, Crancy K. Anchanta, a, a medical doctor, Newark Rotary Club, Washington Outpatient, Outpatient Surgery Center, Genentech, Union Bank, and Coach George Wang. So quite a few phenomenal supervi- uh, uh, sponsors that are, that are coming forward to, to support the program. And we, prior to the event, we have what's called a VIP event where we're doing a half hour. It's a, the, the, the main event is free. But the VIP event is $125 a person, and it's to um, help support the program even further. And then we have a uh, fund ride, um, a part of the program, where people are donating towards this, this goes to the program. We had someone step forward, an uh, angel donor, and they said, well, for every donation you get, we'll match it up to $5,000. So the cool thing is we haven't even had the event yet. And we have raised uh, $10,850, and we're just looking for 2150 to bring us to our goal of starting off at $13,000. Um, well, and, that's a great you know, springboard again. to have, and, uh, and uh, you know, it, it's a great it opportunity is. for people to, uh, to really learn more about Drivers for Survivors, the difference the organization is making, and, uh, and, and especially, as Sherry mentions, during these challenging times with COVID-19, uh, the service they provide becoming more important than ever before. You can get complete details on the event, the virtual black and white ball that she mentioned, sixth annual um, week from Friday, by going to their website, driversforsurvivors.org. Again, you can also get connected there, whether you are a cancer patient in need of transportation or somebody with a heart and some time on your hands and you'd like to volunteer, uh, they can set you in the right direction. You can call them at area code 510-299-7349 or again, go to driversforsurvivors.org. That's driversforsurvivors.org. Our thanks to Sherry Higgs, founding CEO and executive director of Drivers for Survivors for being with us. All right, 532.33, let's get caught up on traffic right now. Head over to the KFAX Traffic Center for the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back. As we continue on, uh, you know, we're, we're still on the backside of the tragedy of the George Floyd killing, working through so many aspects of this that need to be addressed. 
And and to be sure, one of the arenas that we've heard a lot of focus on has been the so-called defunding of police. And um, I'm, I'm not sure that that means what I think it means. Um, in the purest form, I would look at that and say, well, if that be the case, then to whom lies the responsibility for making our streets safe, dealing with the bad guys when they go to rob a bank or break into my house, who controls traffic. I mean, there's such a variety of issues here that would be in question where we would take that statement literally. Now, that said, to be sure, there is a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done, and we're going to spend some time talking about where we're at, where we need to be. Adam Davis is a former Alabama law enforcement officer. He is the author of Behind the Badge, 365 Daily Devotions for Law Enforcement, and also co-author of On Spiritual Combat, 30 Missions for Victorious Warfare, both publications recently released by Broad Street Publishing. And Adam, thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me on, and uh, super honored to get a few moments to share with your audience. You know, when we think about so many of these issues, Adam, one of the things that really comes to my mind, and and based on your experience, maybe you can offer some insight to this. Uh, To be sure, the tragedy of what unfolded on the streets of Minneapolis is horrific. And and, uh, that's something that everybody who's seen that video almost ad nauseum has that horrible scene seared into their minds. And I wonder if part of the problem here is that maybe we do we expect too much of police officers? And I ask that question because I think about the fact that sort of at at, at the lead, we, we train these men and women as warriors. You know, they're they're trained in riot control, SWAT teams, crime solvers, crime fighters. But then on top of that, we add, well, they're responsible for enforcing the law. They are, for many of us, the first and perhaps only direct touch we have with so-called government authority. They are required to be social workers when they have to deal with domestic issues or the comforters when they are the first ones at the scene of a horrific automobile accident. They're eyewitnesses and reporters of taking down details of what happens when a crime is committed so that there's documentation for the court record. They have to testify oftentimes in court. They're even called upon to take care of what I'll call, almost tongue-in-cheek, housekeeping duties, like your light bulb is out, meaning you've got a tail light out, so they handle traffic control. And at the end of the day, I just wonder, since the the depth and breadth of of the duties is so broad, and in some ways, people would say, requires different types of attitudes and, 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 and manners of engaging with people, is perhaps part of the problem here that this sort of one size fits all approach to policing is maybe just asking many of these men and women to do way too much? Well, I think it's important to remember you're dealing with human beings, not robots. You're dealing with human beings, and by by our nature, we are imperfect. And uh, law enforcement is a zero-defect profession, meaning there's zero room for error uh, in a lot of situations. Uh, no, I don't think we're asking too much of law enforcement. What I, what I believe is the issue is is we're not asking enough of the citizen who has an encounter with law enforcement. We're not asking enough of the criminal who who has an encounter with law enforcement who has a an objective of harming someone, of killing, of stealing, of, of, of causing injury, uh, someone who breaks the law. We're not giving enough responsibility. We're not holding them accountable to a standard. 
And are there situations where law enforcement has to to respond differently? Absolutely, they're not going to respond the same by, for uh, you know, for for a uh, you know welfare check. They're going to they're going to respond with it and take certain precautions. Uh, but you want those men and women who are warriors to respond when there's an active shooting situation. Uh, you know, where, where someone with, uh, with violent hatred, pure evil hearts is is want to take the lives of as many people as possible. You want those men and women to be excellent when they respond. Uh, when they say defund law enforcement, they mean cut budgets. In some cases, they mean not only cut budgets, but gut those budgets to where there's nothing left. What you've got now in, in a lot of cases is law enforcement is not funded well enough as it is. Uh, you've got a few places that are, are that are funded well and their their salaries are paid uh, well, great benefits, but that's not you know that's not the case for every department. There's not a one size fits all. You have to be willing to be uh, be flexible and be willing to change. But that's that's part of the human issue here, if you will, is that you have to go from being someone who, who's uh, community policing, being friendly, being nice, to dealing with someone who wants to take the life of another human being. And officers don't get up every day wanting to kill somebody. Uh, uh, you know, far be it from what anybody thinks. Uh, that's not their mission and goal, large, you know, for the for the most part, I'm sure that there's and I know that there's some bad apples in there, um, but they have to be addressed from within. They have to be held accountable, but you can't label the entire profession as bad because of the actions of a few. Uh, we have to be willing to support law enforcement. If if anything, now we need uh, they need more funding because w- what you're demanding is better trained officers. Well, guess what? More training requires it requires more funding, and uh, so if you want better trained officers, you need more funding, not defunding. And that certainly makes sense. I mean, I, I would equate it to an experience we've all had, and that's dealing with the DMV. You know, in most yeah. states, like California, the DMV is an organizational disaster. And so it's easy yeah. to say, let's defund the DMV. But then the question arises, well, then who tests drivers? Who issues licenses right. and IDs? Who registers vehicles? Who periodically checks to make sure the drivers remain proficient and safe on the road? So there's a very important yeah. function that's served, that there may be a need for reformation and reform, yeah. absolutely. But the baby out with the bathwater, probably not a, it's kind of a non-starter. Right, right. Yeah, no, there's got to be some discussions across the board on different issues. But let me tell you something. Those, those discussions are had anyway. They're had every year. They're had every month. Uh, chiefs of police, sheriffs across the country, law enforcement leaders—they—they they have these conversations. This is—they're not just starting to have these conversations. These are men and women who strive for excellence in all they do. Leaders in law enforcement are are, are by and far uh, some of the best human beings on the planet. They know exactly what to do, how to lead. They're great leaders for the most part. Of course, you're going to have this—you know—you're you're, going to have some that aren't, but. For the most part, you've got great men and women who are having these conversations, who are talking to their officers, to their deputies, and they're working through it. But one, you know, my my angle is to, you know, you've got a, a lot of great people that are working on the the clinical side, they're dealing with the trauma, they're dealing with mental wellness, physical wellness. I go after the heart, after the spiritual wellness, and I've done that through behind the badge on spiritual combat, even bulletproof marriage. Colonel Grossman and I wrote that together as well, but. Uh, since last Thursday, we've shipped out, tw- or I've shipped out 20 cases of behind the badge, the devotion, daily devotion to places across the country. Cases, not copies. People are buying to give away to officers and put in their hands because it's a powerful resource, just like any tool on their duty belt. This is a this is a tool that that every officer in America needs. 
Let me ask you the tough question, because so much of the dialogue since George Floyd's death back at the end of May has focused on expectations that we have for law enforcement, what we expect as taxpayers and citizens from our police. But let me turn that around for a moment. This is not a one-way street. You use the word community earlier. We are indeed in community. They are part of the community. They help to maintain order within our community. So as much as we've sort of laid out this laundry list of what our expectations are of police officers, what should be the other side of that equation in terms of, from your viewpoint, Adam, the responsibility of citizens? Yeah, you know what? Uh, Don't break the law. I know that sounds really cliche. Um, and and, And it sounds like it's just come from a place of just plain old common sense, as we say down here in Alabama. Uh, but, you know, uh, if you have an interaction with law enforcement, remember, they're human. They're, you're dealing with human beings. You're not dealing with, with robots. Uh, somebody's going to make a mistake. You need to be, be sure that you uh, just obey, the, obey what they're telling you to do. If there's an issue, deal with it in court. Deal with it, deal with it through administration. Uh, be respectful. Uh, you know, by and far, you are going to have a positive experience with them if you will respect them they're going to respect you they're going to treat you fairly they're going to treat you well uh if you're a criminal let me tell you something the criminal will never be a friend of a law enforcement officer when they're when they're trying to get away with or elude them in the midst of a crime so we're trying to mesh good and evil together so that we can have the perfect world evil exists in the united states in every community across this country there's no way that we can take away the conversation uh the presence of evil you need good men and women who are willing to in, encounter, uh, engage, and deal with evil. And those evil people, uh, they exist in our communities. They may exist next door to you. You don't know where they're at. But trust me, when the day comes, if that day comes and you need a police officer, you need a law enforcement officer, you want a good man and woman there. And uh, when we come together as communities to show my support, we back them. We make sure that our uh, departments, our agencies are holding the bad ones accountable to deal with them. Uh, it makes for a better country. It makes for better communities. Uh, but it's just part of the ingredients that are required for safer communities is for us to have those conversations, but also to understand evil must be engaged and it must be dealt with and they must be held accountable. And, you know, the, the bottom line issue is that we, we could not maintain an ordered society. We couldn't maintain the peace, as they say, uh, if yeah. it weren't for people that are responsible for enforcing that. And, uh, right. you know, uh, again, this is not to say that we're going to cut slack to those that, from the policing standpoint, have overreached, overreacted, misbehaved, um, as we yeah. saw in the case of the George Floyd uh, killing. That That's pretty clean cut. That said, let's be mindful when we talk about things like defund the police. If, if to some that means eliminating the police, then my big question is, who are you going to call when the guy is breaking into your house? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to uh, look at it like you've seen some of the, some of the law enforcement officers, I believe up in, uh, in Oregon, they said, Hey, if you, if, uh, prepare, prepare to turn your wallets over your purses, your cell phones, uh, and, you know, we'll come by and take a report and get some information, be sure to get a good description, but we're not going to be able to respond because there's not enough of us. Uh, we're not going to be able to respond to these calls. How are you going to respond? How do you react? How are you going to feel if that's your community, if that's your son, that's your daughter, your mother, your father, your wife, your husband, whatever the case is, your child? How are you going to feel if that's your community? It's one thing when you read it as a headline. 
But when that comes come, when that comes home to you, it's a different it's a different ball game. Uh, and we need we need good cops in America. We have good cops in America. But what's happening right now is not going to only affect the cops of today, but it's going to affect the cops of tomorrow and the quality of cops and the number of cops that, will, that, that are able to be recruited. So we have to, we have to give the bullhorn uh, to good voices that support law enforcement right now, and we have to support them with everything we got. Yeah, and, and the, the, the final thing we'll kind of put as the cherry on top here is that, yep. that we as the church need to be praying uh, these oh, are complex times and complex issues, and as Adam suggests, you know there, there's need for reform in the correctional system. Uh, there's need for reform with policing, better training, but of course that means more resources, not less resources, as he suggests. And we need to be praying for these men and women uh, who do a job certainly I would never want to do. And uh, yeah. and and quite frankly, there hasn't been as strong a call for that. Uh, that that I think we really need to hear, and and it's a high time that we yeah. we focus on that that very the, issue. The the church needs to uh, be supporting, be praying for, be ministering to, and that's what I've had here in the past week is churches across the country reaching out, wanting to buy behind the badge. I've got it discounted sixty percent uh, or more uh, to put it in the hands of as many cops in America as possible on a, on a mission to reach ten thousand in thirty days, and uh, you know it's it's my heart to plant a seed in their heart that will encourage them, that will draw them closer to a walk with Christ, uh, edify them in their walk with Christ, strengthen them. The church, it is time for the church to no longer be silent but to speak up and to let the men and women who serve our communities know we love them, we're praying for them, we're here for them, and we're going to be here for them for, uh, for the future as well, not just now. Adam Davis, author of Behind the Badge, 365 Daily Devotions for Law Enforcement. Again, newly published by Broad Street Publishing. You can get more information and, as Adam suggests, maybe a great gift to give to peace officers in your community. You can get information by going online to theadamdavis.com. Just his name, Adam Davis, with the word the in the front, theadamdavis.com. Behind the Badge, 365 Daily Devotions for Law Enforcement. Adam, I know you got to run. We appreciate your time today. 5.53 on the clock. Let's get you an update on traffic right now. And now back to Lifeline with